0: Ephesians 2.10 says that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And it's this great honor of ours to discover our purpose, to discover what it is that God had planned beforehand for us to walk in. But let it be noted that you were created in Christ Jesus as his workmanship. Another word, in the, uh, uh, the word in the Greek for workmanship really means, uh, is the Greek word poema, and it's where we get the English word poem from. And so if you can think of an artist that puts together words, craft uh, 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 like very um, beautifully and making them rhyme and, and in order to convey some idea, or a memory, or tell a story, or bring forth a message. If you can think of that, and then translate that into, you were made as one of God's little art pieces, a poem, that He carefully strung together with an idea, a memory of His kingdom, a word, a message that He wants the world to read in you. So what you need to start asking yourself is, is what is my poem communicating to the world? What is my poem writing to the world? What is God communicating through me to the world? And that's how you start discovering a little bit about how God has made you. The, the, the design that He put in you becomes part of your message. And it's important for us to keep pursuing this. So I'm hoping that as you hear this and on the back of last week's message, that you really make some time and make effort to explore what is this message that God is bringing to the world through me? Why am I destined to walk in 2023 in Crowley and South Louisiana? What is God meaning for me to do here? That is an important question that each of us need to ask. And as you explore that, God is faithful to start showing to you your purpose. And he will make his plans known to you so that then you can put your back into it. Now you can kind of go like, oh, this is my purpose. So now I can start saying, Lord, how do I do that more effectively? How do I do that more efficiently? And I'll promise you, you will never be sorry that you explored this question. Why did God put me here? Why did he destined for me to be here in 2023? And what is he trying to accomplish through my life? Today, we're going to head into chapter three and four. And then last, uh, sorry, next week's going to be the last message in our Ephesians series. We'll do Ephesians six in a different series down the line about spiritual warfare, but we're going to end it off with chapter five. And Ryan Cart is going to come bring the message next week for us about that. Y'all all will love Ryan. He just, speaks with such wisdom and such maturity every time that I ask him to, and um, I, I look forward to you hearing what he is gathering from Ephesians 5 for us. But today, let's head into chapter 3 and 4, um, and we're going to look at the two themes. One is the mystery of the gospel, all right? And the second one is the calling to the gospel, the mystery of the gospel and the calling to the gospel. Both of these themes is things that God is drawing our attention to and God is drawing us into as we follow him so that we become beneficiaries of that, but also we learn how to be benefactors of that. The one receives and the other one gives um, the benefit. So let's start at Ephesians 3 verse 4. If you have your Bible with me, Why don't you stand up real quick and we're going to make our scripture, our declaration about scripture. Can y'all put that up for us? We do this every Sunday. Why do we do this? Because it's easy to sometimes listen to the word of God and not realize the authority that it has and the power it has to transform. And if we don't position our hearts and our minds correctly toward it, we might just see this as just another opinion, just another word. But we want this word to be your highest authority and your highest viewpoint. And so that's why we make this declaration together. So if you're with me, let's do this. One, two, three. This is the word of God. Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to your word. We don't do anything that you did not do. The Bible says that you submit yourself to your word. You do nothing else other than what is written in these pages. And as you submit yourself to your written word, Father, we come and recognize the authority that it has today to transform us and to make us believe different about ourselves so that we might live according to your purpose in this life we pray that in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right, take your Bible, Ephesians 3. I'm going to read a couple of verses, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 4 to 6. It says the following. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. This is Paul writing this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. M- most scholars believe. It says You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. There was something about this message of Jesus coming to save that was a mystery up until now. Verse 5 says, Which was not made made known to the sons of men in other generations, it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit of God. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Everybody say Gentiles. Gentiles. Now, for some reason, the Bible. Um, translators try to provide context. Uh, I guess they try to explain um, how the original hearers would have understood it. But for us, it's important to understand what certain words mean so that we can apply them to our context. The word "gentile" in the Greek is the word "ta ethne," the nations. Okay, so that Greek term there—you pronounce "ta ethne." And the literal translation of that is not the word Gentiles, but it's the nations. It's the nations. So if we would read verse 6 as it would be something that, you know, we understand um, in our context, because we did not come out of a Jewish context that there was a separate or a dichotomy between what is Jewish and what is not Jewish. We're not Jewish. We're American. And, you know, we've just heard this gospel preached to us as part of our culture. Right, But what it says here is that this mystery is that the nations are fellow heirs. The nations. And we know from Matthew 28, 19, this is very much in line with the mission that Jesus gave the church. You will remember Matthew 28, verse 19, say this following. It says, go into all the nations... And the Greek word there is the word "panta," which we we get the word "pan" from, like um, uh, that means many or 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 diverse uh, uh, kinds of things. "Pantata ethne," all the nations. Jesus sent his disciples to go make disciples of all the nations. And so Paul had an acute understanding here of what that meant for the people that weren't of Jewish descent of the day. Oh, I'm so sorry. I need a it's the wind. I'll put it, I'll put it under my water bottle. I need it. Sorry, I didn't mean to be a distraction. Let's get back into that. Okay. So this mission that Jesus gave the church to was that, and the mystery that was revealed in it was that the gospel wasn't just meant for the Jews. It was meant for the nations. And here's the problem when we, now that we're 2,000 years removed and we grow up in a culture that's overtly Christian, it's easy for us to think that that mandate and that mission is just for us. It's just for us and our neighbors, right? Right. And we get very comfortable thinking that, okay, good, I'm saved, so that's fine. That's good and and, and done now. And what, what this mystery wants to reveal to us today is that, no, this gospel wasn't just meant for you and your people. It was meant for all the people. And so we as Christians, if we understand the mission that Paul understood, needs to understand that your and my faith doesn't just stop and cannot just stop with me getting saved. It has to engage in this mission of seeing all the nations hear the gospel and get included in the incredible heritage that we as Christians share. So I was at the youth camp and I led a breakout session. Shame on all of you. You didn't, you didn't come to my breakout session. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's awesome. Now, here's the problem. What about the rest of you all? Okay, I did miss one session because I was like um, understood the text message wrong. I I have to fess up, but but thank you that you were gonna be there. You were gonna be there, right? Who of y'all were gonna be there? Now, don't you dare lie to me today! All of them. Okay, y'all just got a witness somebody brought some receipts for y'all. You are saved. Okay. Well, this is what I shared with them. I shared with them this word, mission. And I asked them, what do you guys understand from the word mission? And you know, it's awesome when you don't talk, when you talk to non-religious individuals, because they actually think, they don't just, you know, regurgitate stuff that they have um, you know, heard before that really isn't um, uh, 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 what you're asking. They're just assuming you want a religious answer. Not, not these kids. They say, well, if I think of mission, I think of a goal. I'm like, that's good. What else? Someone said a quest, right? Somebody said a quest. I said, that's awesome. Another person said, well, for me, it's like a journey. I'm going on this mission, it's a journey that I'm that I'm engaging in. I'm like, man, this is amazing. And then another person said, well, a mission should be like probably it's gonna be like challenging, right? Mission impossible. Right? There's gonna be a challenge to this, and and there might be some danger. And then another person said, but it's not danger like negative danger, it's more like it's more like it's like (gasps) exciting danger. (laughs) Right? Butterfly type danger. And I was like, that is so incredible, because if you think of mission, then, and, and that is what comes to mind, then really you actually have a greater grasp of what the Bible refers to when it talks about the mission of Christianity than most people in religious circles will. And so I applaud those youth for actually thinking for themselves and understanding that when Jesus gave this mission, because Matthew 28 really is the mission of the church. That it was going to be and need to be a goal that we try and reach. Is Matthew 28 verse 19 one of your goals? It's going to have to be a quest which means that there's going to be things that I have to solve, right? You know, when you, when, you, when you think of all the kids' stories and it's a quest and there's always like, you get to this place and there's this conundrum, I have to figure it out. And there's either a riddle or there's like a thing, a puzzle, and they have to solve it. And then when they solve it, boom, the next part of the journey opens up. It's a quest. The mission that Jesus gave the church is, is like a quest, You have to go to certain things, figure certain things out. It's going to be kind of like puzzling. You might not get it at first, but if you work at it a little bit, and if you get a couple of other brains with you on it, you might be able to solve that puzzle. And when you do, boom, it opens up a whole new part of this journey. People said it was a journey. Yes, because it is constantly in motion. It is constantly changing. It's dynamic. It's not the same every week. And yes, there's challenge to it. And yes, there are some risks to it. But it's all part, and in, it's, 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 it's the nature of a mission. And yet we were charged with this mission to go and accomplish it. Because he said that the mystery was that this was always the plan that all the nations would be included in this. All the nations. It wasn't just the Jews that had to go. They were the beneficiaries of it, the recipients of it, but then they became the givers. They became the blessors, and so are you and I. As much as we are receiving this benefit, this blessing of this being in Christ, the minute we find ourselves there. We are now included in this missions, Pantata Este, all the nations need to learn. And so our session's name at this youth camp was Global Mindset. And I said to them, well, where, well let, me, let me ask you, where, where are the nations? Are they across our border? No, they're probably in school with us by now. The beautiful thing of having a global mindset is, is that you can see the world on your doorstep. You don't have to cross our border to make a change in the world. I am still in contact with one of the students that, whose hearts we touched in the short semester that she was at, at, at JMU. And she, 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 she um, learned like incredible things about her relationship with God in the short times. And she's, she told me the other day um, that she's still talking about these things with her family at home. Guess where she's from? Where's she from again? <laughs> is it it's not, no, it's not, no is it Venezuela? El Salvador. El Salvador. El Salvador! Right? So guess what we're doing from little old Crowley? We're impacting El Salvador. Why? Because we have a global mindset. We're engaged in the mission. And you can be a part of this mission when you start understanding your your place and your and, 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 and you know. Your makeup and what you were included in correctly as a Christian. So I asked the youth, I said to him, So why do mission exist? All right, Ella, tell us, why do mission exist? Exactly. Think about what you said mission exists because worship doesn't. Between mission and worship, what will translate into eternity? Worship There is no mission in heaven. So the purpose of mission is to activate worship. It's to activate worship. Now before you think of worship as just being singing songs and fearing that we're going to be all be robed in you know, choir dresses and just be swinging and you know harmonizing in, in heaven, heaven is a lot more than that. Colossians speak of our lives being worship. Everything we do as of unto the Lord, everything is worship. Makes the question, is everything I do like worship? My mission is to activate worship in us, to help us to reframe our thinking about our nine to five. How can my work life be worship? Mission exists because worship doesn't. The goal of mission is worship. And we just went through a little exercise of understanding that you know, sometimes people want to go on missions because it's exciting, you know, it's a travel experience and all that. And, and that's not necessarily the best reason to go on a mission trip. And so we need to prepare our hearts that when we go on mission, it is to actually have moments where we activate worship in other people. How do I activate worship in other people? First and foremost, it's through my personal worship. My personal worship is the first thing that helps me to activate mission in other people. And so as I am worshiping and telling people about my life with Jesus, my faith, I am motivating. I don't even have to preach at them. I don't even have to, like, confront them on their sin. I don't have to, you know... to quote Bible verses to them. The first thing I have to start doing is to just worship in front of them. Then does that mean I'm like glory, hallelujah? No, that's religious fluff. You don't have to do that. I mean, if that is you and that's you know what your what your personality is like, and you know what, then more power to you. You know, but what I've just found is that that doesn't necessarily get experienced as authenticness. It it, it more often is experienced in a negative way. But when you make decisions and you make them ethically, when you have an opportunity to take and you know that it's going to dishonor God, you say no to it. When you have to act towards somebody, you have to do something towards somebody, like if you're a boss or if you're a co- co-worker and you have to confront somebody that you do it with respect and love. All of these things is how we turn our everyday into worship unto the Lord. And when they ask why you have a answer for them, that's not, oh, you know, I'm just, that's just who I am. No, you have a proper answer to say, this is because my work is my worship unto the Lord. And I want every decision, every action I take at my work to first and foremost, honor Him. And secondly, to represent Him. To represent Him. Our mission exists because worship doesn't. So let me ask you this. Where is there not worship? I'm not talking about the ether in your life. No, no, no. Not you personally. Around you. Right around you. Where is there not worship? I asked this to the students. Like some said, like, in my family. What did you say? Everywhere Everywhere around us. In my school. There is a lot of non-worship going on in this world. Even though we're a quote-unquote Christian nation, there's this unfortunate thing where the church got completely split out of secular life. Let me tell you, that is a good principle when it comes to Splitting church governance and political and, 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 and social governance, but that's not a good split when you take Jesus and His influence out of the world. There is no reason why Jesus shouldn't be included in your 9 to 5. Absolutely no reason. It poses no threat. The only reason church and state separation is relevant is because the church, as a governance body, poses a threat to freedoms, of society if it is in authority over government. And the same for government poses a threat for the church if it comes into authority over the church. That's where the separation is needed, not in practical living. In practical living, it is absolutely unavoidable. Why? Because my work is my worship. And I'm wanting to do it uh, in a way that represents Him and honors Him. And so, it is important that we understand that this thing about mission is that we were all included, all the nations, but it wasn't just for us. It was for us, and it's supposed to be also through us. You know, this this changed everything. Um, this mission, this understanding that Jesus did not just come for one people group. He did not just come for one country. He came for the world. And it was amazing because that made everybody eligible to be heirs of God. What is an heir? It's somebody that gains an inheritance, right? So everybody was included in his plan, his original plan to walk as sons and daughters with him. Every single people group. Now, this is important, and I'll get back to this in a minute but heirs of what? Verse 6 says it very powerfully. We get to be members of the same body. Now, remember what I just said. Members of the same body. So, when I see somebody that does not speak like me, sound like me, dress like me, live where I live, but they worship Jesus, do I have the perspective shift and change in my heart and mind to see them as more of me than maybe the person next to me who sounds like me, dresses like me, looks like me, thinks like me, but does not serve Jesus. Do I count myself as the same body as this person or the one that serves like Jesus, that 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 that, that serves Jesus with me? And that's important. Because understanding this mystery means that I understand that I am more like and more of and connected to the person that serves Jesus than I am that the one that is completely the same as me on outward appearance and outward functions. And even some internal, you know, mindsets, etc. We get to be partakers of the same promise. We spoke about this in, in, the, in the previous messages, so I'm just going through it. The first one is identity. Do I identify more with the people that are Christian, or do I identify more with the people that I perceive to be my people? Partakers of the same promise. That's our inheritance. We all get the same inheritance through the gospel. That is both our blessing and our influence. So, how we work out and how we live out our, uh, our power in this world, our influence in this world. So continuing on in Ephesians 3 verse 8, it says, To me, though I'm the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages? So first is the mystery, God wanted all the nations to be included, but there is a plan connected to this mystery. What is the plan of this mystery, hidden for the ages in God, who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose. Everybody just say say this, eternal purpose. It's important that we understand that none of God's purpose was designed the day that you saw the light. It's physical light. It was like, ooh, what are we going to get this one? No, you were, <laughs> so to say, released to come and physically live out your purpose that has been planned for you way in advance. Right? God was never surprised with you. And so, your experience on earth cannot change what God has planned for you back eternity. See, some of us might think, oh, you know, this is how I experience life, and this must mean that, you know, things need to be changed, things need to be different. No, no. God planned this way back. Your experience, whether it's good, bad, evil, or or not evil, isn't going to change that purpose that He designed for you to walk in. It's not going to change that. You're securing that purpose. You can rest in that purpose. And then it says, um, okay, so the eternal purpose, right? So he talks about two things, the plan of the mystery, the eternal purpose that the church must make known to the world, this plan, this mystery, that we're sent out way beyond just our own to go and preach this gospel. But there is something about this that is revealed in Ephesians 4, and now we're going to start jumping back and forth from 4 to 3, so kind of stick with me today, because it's it's it helps me to express this, this theme properly, um, even though the Bible is perfect in its order. I don't, I don't question that. But to, to help us to see how this theme pops up in these two verses, how, 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 these two chapters. I'm jumping to chapter 4, verse 4 right now. It says the following. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were all called to the one hope that belongs to our call. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were all called to the one hope that belongs to your call. You see, the plan of the mystery of this, this eternal purpose was not just that people would be saved, that all the nations would go to heaven. No, it was that these nations would be included in the same body, the same spiritual body with Jesus Christ as its head. This is huge. This is huge because this defines how we view interhuman relations. I cannot claim to be of the same body as somebody and think that it is healthy that I look down on some of its members or even reject some of its members, right? All these nations are destined to walk as one spiritual body before the Lord, united in one spirit with one hope. No distinction of class, race, nationality, or language. Just one beautiful body with Jesus as the head. Listen to this. Eternal mindset. One day there will be no USA. There'll be no Canada, there'll be no Russia, there'll be no China, there'll be no South Africa. There will just be Christ and the body of Christ. Eternal mindset here for a minute, just follow me. So if we are becoming a part of this one body, we have this incredible hope that we're living for, that one day all of the striving that's taking place between humans right now will, be, will, be, will come to an end. That's an incredible hope that we have been called to. This hope belongs to this calling to unite in Christ everybody, from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, a people that will serve Him, that will follow Him. What a hope to strive for, when you look at your neighbor and they are different from you, remember what you, what you need to look at is the eternal perspective. This person can be a part of the same body as I am in eternity. And maybe, just maybe when we look past our temporary fears, our offenses, our pride, when we look past our hurts, we will be able to treat people as though we have already attained this incredible glory. This is what enables me to live in forgiveness. So I'm going to go to the same destination as you. And if I can't look you in the eyes right now, it means that I am I'm actually settling for second best. If I can't associate myself with you right now, then I'm not living in this this plan. And so I want to backtrack three verses and read to you what Paul is writing to the church. He's saying to them, therefore, I, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. Listen to the language he's using. I'm urging you. To walk in a manner that is worthy of this calling to which you have been called. And we'll talk about that calling from now. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. There's, no, there's a good reason why this is being urged, why this has been drawn upon. Because this mission is going to be challenging, y'all. This mission this quest is going to have conundrums that we need to figure out. It's going to have like it's going to have challenges that says, well, you know, I see it this way, you see it this way and we just can't reconcile, but this quest requires us. If we're going to walk, walk worthy of this mission, this calling that we do figure those things out. That we submit our hearts, that we submit our our fears, our pride. We submit that to the Holy Spirit and say, The Holy Spirit, it's through you alone that we'll be able to unite and live out this calling, this beautiful purpose that you have made available to us now in Christ, that we will be one, that there will be unity. Listen to what two, verse 2 and 3 says. Uh, Was 3 eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That means that we have to strive for unity amongst us and peace amongst us. This is, this is how, how we walk worthy of the calling. Remember Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, the riches of your inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us to believe. He's calling on our identity and our inheritance saying to you, I have given you everything you need to respond to my desire to see the body one. There is no excuse for offense to continue. Absolutely no excuse. Figure it out. It's a quest. Figure out the puzzle, but figure it out. Ephesians 2.15, last week, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. Making the distinction between the Jews and the rest of the nations. He wants us to see ourselves as one. Verse 15 says, so making peace. It's it's not for for, for no reason that, that, that Jesus characterizes his kingdom as a kingdom of peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians three 9. I'm just running through a couple of ver- verses in the previous chapters that be- brings this point home. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So, so if it's possible for there to be unity between different peoples, different languages, and He is calling us to create that and to submit ourselves and our own perspectives and our own fears, desires, to make sure that that is a reality and becomes practically possible. How can it be that I cannot have peace between me and a person that is sitting next to me, the same family? It's not acceptable. That's not walking worthy of this calling. So how do I work, walk worthy of this calling? Everybody say, right believing right. leads to right living. We need to jump back to verse 3 because Paul prays a prayer because he knew that if we did not have this thing in our hearts settled, we will not be able to walk worthy of this incredible calling that we are part of one body, one spirit, and one hope that we were called to. The first thing that we have to engage with is to be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Two different people say it today, that intimacy is what God <laughs> intends for us to have with Him. That means you were designed to have a real Close relationship with your father, with your dad, your heavenly father. Rooted and grounded in love. You can only give what you have received. Let's read Ephesians 3 verse 14 here. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And this is my prayer for you today. If you're in a situation where it's hard for you to find peace with somebody, where it's hard for you to to to, um, to, to find peace with some group, some some ethnicity, some nation, that you would that you would heed the prayer, and that you would allow the Holy Spirit on the inside of you to strengthen you to the point where you are able to do this so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the breadth, and the height, and the depth And that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you have hatred in your heart towards anybody, you're not filled with the love of God. Some of the inside is taken up by hate, bitterness, offense, anger. You are not filled with the love of God. And so I'm praying today that we will will be filled, so filled that there cannot be any hatred in us. That there cannot be any bitterness in us toward anybody for anything. It, two things, two words stand out for me in this portion. The first one is comprehend. This is to understand logically by studying and being taught. You've heard all your life, God loves you. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. I've been taught this so I can comprehend that He loves me. But it's interesting how it's written. It doesn't say that you may you know, uh, comprehend with all the saints What is the length, breadth, and depth of the love of God? It inserts something there. Can you find it? (laughs) Comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth, length, height, and depth? And to what? Know. The word there, know, is the different word from the word comprehend. It does not denote understanding. It says, I've experienced this. I felt it. I felt this love. This love has overwhelmed me. This love has changed me. There's this desire from God that you would be rooted and grounded in love. And for that to be true, you have to not only comprehend the fact, yes, He loves me, but you have to have an experience of it. How do I experience God's love John 1, 1 John 3, 1 says the following, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He has made us His children. He has adopted us, as Ephesians says, in the beloved. That helps me to experience God if I can put my faith in it, and I can start identifying myself as a child of God, having been accepted, and the more I, I, I trust, because that's what faith is, in those words, the more I start experiencing it, the more I start assuming that this is the way that God is going to react toward me. The Spirit of God will affirm these things to me in my spirit. And there's something about the Spirit of God inside me deeply yearning out for a relationship, for, for an emotional connection with me. If the Spirit is living inside of you, you are able to connect with God in that level. Because deep Christ to deep, like Christ to like, you have been created in the Spirit's image. So you are able to relate with Him and connect with Him. But it starts with you putting your faith in what Jesus has said about you. I know what it feels like to walk into a church and having messed up in the week. Done that many times. Here's what I don't want happening. You walk out here still feeling that you're under condemnation. You're under guilt or shame. No, no, no. That gets settled here. You walk out here. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I've been accepted in the beloved. Right? Christ died for my sin. He laid his life down for mine. The more I confess that, the greater it becomes my reality. The Holy Spirit indwelling in me. The word that I gave, that He gave me. The promises I find therein. How it speaks to me. You know, there's nothing more powerful than when, you know, you get the word that becomes alive to you. Something you read and you go like, my goodness, I've never read that. But I've read that 70 times. That's how the Word communicates God's love to you, how you experience, how He says something to you personally. Somebody comes and says, Hey, I just want to encourage you today. I want you to know that God loves you. Or, or, hey, I feel like as though you've been struggling with this thing and God wants to say, He's got it. If you've received a Word like that, that is through the family of God, through the church, that you experience the love of God. And those are the things we ought to pursue Because we want to be rooted so that we have that rootedness when we go through these conflicts, these challenges, these things that tells us that I'm not for you, you're not for me, that we have the grace, we have the maturity, we have the stability, we have the fullness to absorb that pressure. The fuller I am, the less that pressure crushes me when the pressure of love on the inside wanes because you've been pu- you've been replacing love with bitterness with offense with with just negativity about another party right and the, the pressure differential can cause you to be crushed gratitude Man, there's something about gratitude that fills our hearts with the love of God. How do I walk worthy of this calling? Number two, eagerly maintain peaceful unity. Eagerly maintain peaceful unity. It's talking about being humble, gentle. Let's read Ephesians 4 again now. Verse 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It talks to us to maintain peaceful unity between our family relationships, our work relationships, our ethnic relationships, our generational relationships. A while back, I spoke about this. Y'all, we need to build generational relationships. The church is not thriving or, or, or you know, we're we're on a knife's edge when it comes to connecting with the next generation and keeping their hearts connected to it. And it does not help us negatively speaking about the next generation the whole time. Who wants to stick around in a place where they're always being ridiculed? Who wants to stick around in a place where they're always being made fun of, where they're always being criticized for their views, for their lack of X, Y, and Z? Let me tell you, not the youth of today. So figure out whatever hatred, bitterness, or whatever you have towards youth of today. And then replace that with the love of God. (laughs) Replace that. Now it's foggy. If I don't see you anymore, it's just, you know. Replace that with the love of God for them. So that when they come into your presence, they might experience the bond of unity. The bond of peace. Peace and that counts for every relationship. If we're going to walk worthy of the Lord, we cannot leave these things unfixed. We have to walk it out. Yes, it's a mission, I know, but it's a worthy mission, and we are called on To walk in maturity, that's the third point, to grow in maturity. And I want to speak about this because there is unfortunately a very big reluctance to growing up in Christ in the church today. Verse 14 of Ephesians 4 says the following, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. What are the waves? It's the challenges, the things, the storms of life right? Carried about by every wind of doctrine. It's opinions that people share with you about the church, about God. It is too easy to take Christians out, y'all. It's too easy. One life crisis and boom, they're gone. Why? Because we've not grown into maturity in Christ. There is a call this mystery sorry not the mystery this calling that you and I have been called to is a calling to grow to maturity that you will not be taken out by the waves of life but that you will be sustained by your your groundedness in your relationship with Jesus but also because you were you were founded upon his word you 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 don't have a lack of, of love and and a peace and relationships around you that can keep you in the game when your legs might be taken out from under you. And then it says, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's so easy to take Christians into cults these days. It's just so easy because we don't have theological background. We don't want to study theology anymore. We get offended when somebody says to us, "We need to learn Bible." We think we know enough. I'm going to heaven. That's all that's needed. No, Christianity's goal is not taking you to heaven. It's bringing Christ in you and out of you. It's making you become more like Jesus. That's the goal of Christianity. In the process, you will be guaranteed heaven. So we have to we have to become mature. And here's a key. Here's a key of it in the next verse, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in Him who is the head to Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. So here's the question. Is Jesus mad at black people? Why are we? Is Jesus mad at white people? Why are we? Is Jesus mad at the youth? Is Jesus mad at China? Is Jesus mad at Russia? No. He loves them. So in as much as there is, I understand, political things that are playing out right now, your and my, as the body of Christ, as Christians, with the mystery being revealed to us, cannot speak with hatred towards Russia and China. We need to pray God's love to them. We need to pray that the gospel will reach them. We need to pray that he will activate us and enable us to go to them. Like Jesus came to us to save us so that he might save them. We need to pray for the church in Russia, in Ukraine, in China, that they will be strong, that they will be mature, that they won't see the people that are bombing them and hate them, but that they will pray for them. Why does the Bible say, love your enemy? It's so important that we get this, because otherwise we're just thinking and operating exactly the same as the world around us do. Well, I'm mad at you because you were, you know, wrong toward me, and now I'm cutting you out of my life. What is that? How is that worthy of the calling to work toward unity, to work toward having peace between one another? And if we can't do it right here with the people in our own family, how can we even think of doing it further than our family? We need to get this right, y'all. God is calling his his church to order. And here's what he says in verse 22 of chapter 4. So put your old, so put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And again in verse 25, and so having put away this falsehood that we just read, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Speak the truth. It's incredible how often maturity involves speaking. What's the most immature thing you see amongst children? I'm never talking to you again! <laughs> That's okay and funny when you're five and ten. But when you're becoming a teenager, you know, that behavior is no longer becoming to you. You have a brain. Use it to express what you're trying to communicate, use it to connect with the person you're trying to communicate to. And I'm not even talking to all of us. (laughs) If it goes for teenagers, it has to go for all of us. We cannot allow this immaturity to keep us from splitting things up between one another the whole time. Where God wanted us to be one, God created all the things that we need to be able to be one with one another. Ephesians 4.29 says the following, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. Is somebody else's name safe in your mouth? Building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. It may give grace to those who hear. Maturity involves no longer acting like children, not easily swayed by everything or that is said or experienced or heard, involves growing up in Christ, and that involves picking up my share. I didn't read those scriptures, but Ephesians 4 verse 14 to 16 talks about every person doing their part, everyone taking up their part of the responsibility to build this family, to become if everybody does their part the maturity develops putting off falsehood of my old self look we all have sinful tendencies why? because we all get hurt we all get disappointed we all have fear of what the other is potentially able to do to me but we have also been given incredible inheritance And power to walk above those fears so that we can see one another and say, You're my family. And I'm not going to allow what happened between us or what happened between our countries or what happened between our races to make me miss you. I love you. And I want to build this bond, this body with you. And walk in the Spirit unified with you and in peace with you. No corrupting talk about others. Ephesians 4 verse 30 to 32 is just like this final charge where he just says to us, And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He, he affirms that, look, if you make mistakes in this, it's okay. You are sealed. Nothing's going to change about your eternity. But a heck of a lot can change and go down the gutter in your present. If you don't heed His voice. So don't grieve Him. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, plans to be unkind. So be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is indeed an amazing calling to be drawn into. And I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. Walk worthy of this. Walk worthy of the plan that I put in in place for the church. This is not your church. This is my church. And I need you to serve my church in the way that I need it to be served. The way I serve it. So do what you have to do this week in response to this. What's that going to be? Maybe you need to make some phone calls. Ask forgiveness with a tender heart. Maybe it's time to take that growth journey in Christ and and really dig into a relationship with Him. How do I connect with Jesus through my quiet time, through other people, connecting with them in their journey, connecting our journeys together so that we can motivate and encourage one another to grow? Maybe it's time for you to start serving other people get serious about that purpose in your workplace making sure your work is worship what is your response and please let us not speak corruptly of one another and frustrate the Holy Spirit we need the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit on this church like we've never needed Him before The pressure from the outside is too great for us to allow our body to be filled with anything other than love, anything other than love and truth that is spoken in love. I want to mention something that I said earlier. Experience of God alone can be misguided. Comprehension alone is just powerless. But when we combine experience with comprehension, the Bible stays our rudder, but man, we're not sitting on dry land. We're out on the water with Him. And we experience Him firsthand Together, they're a revelation that transform us. And that's what I'm praying for us, is that we will be transformed by being grounded in His love. Let's take a moment now in the presence of the Lord in prayer to commit to Him a response. Just take a moment where you are right now. Let Ryan just say, Take a minute, just one minute. What What is it that you need to respond to to walk worthy of this calling that we have received. Start your prayer with, Lord, Lord, I commit this week to, and then you just finish that sentence. I commit to what? This is where the rubber meets the road, and this is where true change begins. What can your response be? Holy Spirit, as we close today's message, I pray and service that, that you will remind us this week, Lord, of these verses in Ephesians and how it calls on us to engage in this mystery and this calling that you planned way in advance for us to be a part. Help us to reframe our understanding of ourselves in light of this mystery and this calling. That we might accept your definition of ourselves as a higher reality than what we've grown to experience and grown to understand and define ourselves as. Come and transform us, Holy Spirit.